I'm Anthony Walsh and this is the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the show where we empower you with the tools to optimize your health, your happiness and your longevity. Welcome back to the podcast today, Mr. Jeremiah Bishop. In our chat, we're going to uncover how cycling taught Jeremiah more about life than school ever did, exploring his approach to goal setting and overcoming challenges. We'll delve into the balancing acts of demanding professional cycling career with busy personal life. Jeremiah will also share insights on the mental strength required in endurance sports and how you can develop that specific skill set. Finally, we'll discuss how you can once again find the joy in the journey. Jeremiah's wisdom is sure to inspire and motivate. Here's a little taste of what awaits you today. You know, when you train and train and train and you've got your peak race of the year, you know, and you crash and you, you get up and you have to walk off the course or go to the ambulance, you know, those, those are so valuable, so valuable life lessons. And, you know, you can't judge yourself by the outcome, but you can certainly reflect on the effort. One of the articles I wanted to work on, or I'm going to work on, where's that change of statement? <laughs> um, <laughs> it comes from building a really small successes like go to the gym twice this week i'm not saying lift 800 pounds or or, but just go these small steps are successes and success builds confidence confidence builds that motivational conveyor belt Before we get into today's episode, I have some exciting news to share with you. It's been a game changer recently for me, making a marked difference in my performance, especially when it comes to my sleep. Let me introduce you to Pillar. Pillar is a company that's on a mission to fuse pharmaceutical precision with sports supplementation for athletes just like us. Okay, so we're all familiar with electrolytes and carbohydrates in our race preparation, but Pillar's taking a different route. It's focusing on something called micronutrition. It ensures you're ready to perform even before you hit the start line. It's all about promoting a good night's sleep. It's facilitating effective recovery and replenishing those critical micronutrients so you can perform at your best. Over the past month, I've been incorporating Pillar's triple magnesium into my routine. Every night, I take it 30 minutes before bed, and I've seen a remarkable improvement in my sleep quality. You'll know that I'm back using a Whoop device tracking my sleep, and the results of that improvement are there in black and white. I've had about a 10% bump in my restorative sleep since I started taking Pillar. I'm waking up, feeling refreshed every morning, ready to attack work, podcast, training, and just the next day in general. But don't just take my word for this. Try it, and let the data on your fitness tracker tell you the story. So if you're ready to elevate your performance and your sleep quality, why not give Pillar a try? Head over to pillarperformance.shop and use the code ROADMAN on your local website for 15% off your first order. Or for US listeners, head over to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and use the code ROADMAN for the same 15% off your first order. The details of both of these are in today's show notes. Now let's get into the show. Jeremiah Bishop, welcome back to the ROADMAN podcast. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. How are you? I suppose there's two answers to that question, isn't there? Just the trivial one, like, oh yeah, I'm grand, which is going to, we're trying to answer that. I'm, I'm doing fantastic. It looks backwards in my, um, and it's not war because I'm anti-war, but it's Raw Talent Ranch, if you can read this. Uh, this is my favorite coffee cup. It's made by a um, friend of a friend. And we used to have this um, gravel camp, which actually started about 16 years ago. And if you put your thinking cap on, like, whoa, that's 
kind of like before all this, you know, a lot of this gravel stuff. But we just, we would do dumb stuff on our road bikes or we'd take cyclocross bikes. We never really had the right bikes, but we had the right idea. And that was to go out and have fun and, I don't know, get out and ride gravel. So you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? I've been off coffee for a while. So I actually mm. t- spoke about it on the podcast. I was... I added up how much caffeine I was having and I wouldn't have said I was an excessive coffee drinker, but I added it up and between sports drinks, gels, a little bit of caffeine in bars, occasional coffee stop, my coffee in the morning. I was having 12 to 1400 milligrams of coffee every day and I came off it. It was like coming off heroin. It was, I was like train spotting. I was like sick boy in the dirtiest toilet in Glasgow. It, I was in a bad, bad place for like four days trying to come off it. <laughs> aches, pains, headaches. How many do you drink a day? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, probably a couple strong cups of coffee. They're probably doubles. Oh, it's it's pretty yeah, it's pretty legit. I definitely drink a little bit too much, especially if it's a rest day or a travel day. I need to like just stop. I, but you have kind of like so much discipline to spread around on on things, so. <laughs> your opening question is like how are you and it's a funny opening question because we use it all the time and we never actually answer it but like you're right once we cut past that trivial one of oh i'm good because everyone just says i'm good like actually how are you are you in a good place in your life right now are you meeting your goals are you happy are you content absolutely yeah, i mean there's like challenges and you know we've got um i think the, the, a lot of people don't really realize that you know what i do it's probably the least stable form of income. You know, I have a house with a mortgage, wife and kids. And, you know, we've got this content creation, like the impossible routes thing. We've got, um, you know, my racing and event presence, obviously event presence and things like that I can do. But the racing gets harder and harder the older you get. So, you know, you're always kind of in this state of flux. But I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm really enjoying riding in the fall. I'm enjoying like just not having these uh, intense goals or pressure on myself. Um, I just got over COVID two weeks ago and I had it for two weeks. I mean, it was nasty. Um, COVID's still gone. Oh, I thought that was gone. That's real 2020. I know. I know. I'm just, I don't know. But uh, like I, I, we avoided it, you know, pretty well, I guess, apparently. Um, And then I got the vaccines. So I had some immunity to it, I think. But I mean, like, sheesh, give me a drink, uh, you know, share a handkerchief, like, hey, give me a bite of that hot dog. Like, I really was not taking any precautions. Um, you know, I was like, well, you know, I've got the vaccine, I'm good. <laughs> I got slammed. I would be careful, like, post it now. I spoke to Fred Wright about this the other day. And, like, I had a really weird cardiac incident. I had covid and it was like months after that, but I had a, my max ever heart rate by a long way. I had like a 226 or something. My previous Whoa. max was like 192 and it scared the shit out of me. Mm. And especially in the, you know, I'm not sure how much you've been following the broader sports media, but we're having a lot of deaths across athletes in every sport at the moment, cycling included. There's been a bunch of them and then other forced retirements like Nathan Van Hoydonk. And I don't know if it's vaccine related or if it's COVID hangover related or the interplay of those two but i don't know from all i can think is or all like an action out of it is we need to be just more aware of cardiac screening and we need to be looking for patterns and stuff there so i definitely urge you to get that cardiac screen and i had it 
after my incident and the doctor was saying he reckons every athlete should be getting cardiac screening post-COVID or on post-COVID vaccine. Yeah, once once we had the, um, yeah, the UCI, well, yearly, you know, if you're top whatever in the world, you get uh, UCI mandated screenings, physical, uh, blood work, you know, for the biological passport. And I used to get that and it was like, well, why am I getting all these EKG things and having to do all this silly stuff? But, you know, a little little prevention goes a long way. It's a good point. So how are you doing? Really? I'm good. I'm good. We're, good? <laughs> we're you know what? I'm I'm like you. It's uh, I love the podcast. We're lucky enough that we have sponsors on twelve month contracts. But the same as you, where I've made this crossover from my background is in law, and I've kind of made my peace with okay. The podcast isn't a temporary thing now. This is actually now what I do. I'm a podcaster. I'm full time at this. It's kind of it's becoming a new identity for me. So I'm not going back to the stable income of law. So you're trying to make forever decisions on shorter term contracts. So it's like, how do I justify getting a 30-year mortgage when I only have 12-month sponsors? Yes. I'm trying to make my peace with that type stuff at the moment. <laughs> well, you have to believe in what you do. I, I think there's there's this trap. You know, I think when we have less self-confidence that we need to like have the support, you know, of a sponsor well, if we don't get, you know, Canyon back on, the possible route's done. Or if if I don't, you know, get uh, Orange Seal back on, I can't go to Unbound. How can I How can I build a schedule? Because like right now is a time of year when athletes are building goals, you know, building your schedule, trying to get in the lottery for big races or plan, you know, and book travel. And how do you do that if you don't even have a, you know, answer back from these emails and, and things like that. It's, it's a very common situation. And when you, but when you believe in yourself and you know that you're going to do you the best you can, I feel like that once you get to that place and you're like, well, fuck it, I'm doing it no matter what. And whoever wants to come along on the ride is going to have a good time. That mentality. I think when I, when I can clock into that mentality and say, you know what, I'm going to kick ass for those that, you know, partner with me to do some things, but I'm going to be authentic to myself and authentic to what I love. And there might be some, you know, variation of it, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just the way I've been operating, you know, on these one year contracts for the last 20 years. <laughs> it's just, I think cycling teaches you a lot about how to navigate other aspects of your life. I was reflecting back to one of my earliest conversations I had with now someone who was a director of mine, now a good mate of mine. And he was a rival teammate at the time. And I think I was first year where I'd stepped up to cat one and I was starting to find a little bit of legs. And I remember making quite a key selection in a 2.2 race over a category one climb. And there was maybe 25 of us left at the top in this kind of perilous cat one descent in rainy conditions, a lot of switchbacks on it. And the finish was like two kilometers after the bottom. So this descent was going to be full on racing all the way down. And he looked back and he seemed kind of surprised that I was still there. And then he just put his hand on my shoulder and he said, bit of advice for this descent. Look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. And it was great advice for that descent, but it's also been great advice in life. And when I look back at my 2023, my problem wasn't actually that I didn't set goals, that I didn't focus on where I wanted to go. It's I wasn't ambitious enough with them. 
And it got me thinking, you have a wealth of cycling experience, vastly more than I have. Has cycling taught you lessons like that that you've taken into your everyday life? 100%. 100%. I think it's a very similar story. My first breakthrough race was at Pan American Games, and I was racing in Dominican Republic, but I was working two jobs. Like, I, <laughs> I was like hustling. I mean, waiting tables at night, working the bike shop in the middle of the day. You know, I had this window between like 6 a.m. to like 8 a.m. or 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. to like train most days. And then like <laughs> a day off on the weekend. Like, I mean, I was just going, but I somehow broke through, was training my ass off, not sleeping enough, but I, I needed to do it. Got a call up to race for Team USA at the Pan Am Games. And, uh, you know, I, I went to this race and it was like, 100 degrees, cramped really bad, uh, was racing in like second position after following the the, the front runners of the race for, for quite a while. And then, uh, yeah, last lap, you know, all right, we're all together, three of us. I go as hard as I can, pass on the descent. I'm in the lead. I have a 20-second gap. And then I start cramping on the climb. I mean, just locking up, like get off, walk your bike like cramps. And I'm just like, please, no, not now, not now. I've got three kilometers left in this race and a 15 second gap. It's going to 14 seconds. It's going to 12 seconds. I mean, just leg tearing cramps. And I'm like, I'm done. I mean, I'm just done. I mean, this guy's sprinting and I'm cramping and locking up into a ball. And I just said, get over this hill. You know, if I get over this hill, I got a little descent, you know, maybe the cramps will stop. You know, maybe I can pour some water on my legs and just, I don't know, maybe snap out of it. I got over that hill and I took a couple deep breaths and the cramps went away. And the guy had caught me, but I, you know, was able to like go again. And I guess he had sprinted up to get to me. And it was, I mean, like I won the race by seconds. It was a super, super close race, but. I mean, there have been so many times and really the best lessons, you know, they come from the worst situations or toughest situations, the DNF, you know, when you train and train, you train and you've got your peak race of the year, you know, and you crash and you, you get up and you have to walk off the course or go to the ambulance, you know, those, those are so valuable, so valuable life lessons. And, you know, you can't judge yourself by, by the outcome, but you can certainly reflect on the effort, you know, and say, Hey, I prepared, I was diligent, disciplined, I worked hard. And when you start to create that mental framework, you know, that feedback loop is such a strong and positive feedback loop versus race performance. You know, you win, you feel like king of the world, you know, you have a bad race, you feel terrible, you know, maybe I'm not good enough, you know, it's such a... But you know what, because I think it goes to your identity. I think that's why it's so important. I often think the most important sessions are whether it's in the gym and you say, I'm going to do 12 reps on the bench press, or whether it's like, who likes doing VO2 max efforts, full gas, save a five minute VO2 max effort. And there's no one around. It's just you on the side of a mountain. And it's four minutes, 20 seconds in, and it sucks. You're getting sick in your mouth and you're seeing stars and you don't want to be there it's so easy to just go press the lap button and end 40 seconds early. But then that becomes your identity through tough times that when things get hard, I'm the guy who quits early, as opposed to when things get hard, I find a way to finish. 
And that's always been my attitude on the bike. And it's another lesson I've taken off. And even I remember racing pro car messes in Belgium and it's been so hard, but giving myself no out, there was no chance I was DNFing. If I got dropped, I was going to endure the shame of just riding around on my own, like 20 minutes out the back, just so I didn't give myself that out to say, well, you can just stop and you'll be in the car in two minutes time and it'll be warm and you'll have a coat. Nah you're staying in this weather. So you may as well be in the bunch because they're going to get to the finish faster. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, that stuff is just, yeah, people wonder why why we do it. But uh, there's so many greater values than the prize money or, you know, those other things. And I think if you can handle cycling, you can handle a lot because it, it is a rude sport. I mean, you can be a hero one day and then, you know, a year later, no one will talk to you. Like, it's... <laughs> true, very true. But like, what's your process for? You talked about you're working two jobs and you're trying to make this breakthrough. You know, you've tackled many big goals now in your life where you set out at the start of the year. You're like, okay, this is my a priority event. What's your process for tackling these big goals? Like, is it the same way you eat an elephant, like one bite at a time, or how do you deconstruct them? <laughs> that is a really, really good question, and it comes down to incremental, incremental goals. You know, one of the articles I wanted to work on, or I'm going to work on, notice that change of statement, <laughs> um, <laughs> is off-season, you know, sort of like shift to off-season, you know, is one, and goal setting, that's another for sure, because this time of year, it's it's time to dream, it's time to like expand your thoughts and step out of your tracks, and you know, you don't need to do exactly what you did last year, and then to set those goals, and some need to be stretch goals. You know, and I really advocate building like a goal tree, which is sort of like a pine tree or a food pyramid. You know, you've got your like three goals or four goals at the top. They're like the, you know, I want to win the unbound 250 or whatever. I don't want to win the unbound 250 or 350. But, you know, that type of goal. And then you've got the supporting goals, you know, which might be uh, win the state championships gravel race or win the, um, you know, regional long distance race. And then the Would you always training. have them as all, all them you've mentioned, they're all outcome goals. Would you always have outcome goals or would you have process goals to support your ultimate outcome goal? Absolutely. So the process goals, those are, um, you know, you have quantitative and then qualitative goals. So a quantitative goal is when you say, I want to be top three at national championships or I want to go top 10 at world championships. That's a yes or no question. Did you do it? Did you not? Simple. And then the qualitative goals, you know, those are more like in order to do that, we need to get to that um, four by 20, 390 watts by April 3rd, or get in those five workouts per month in the gym that are targeting, you know, muscular endurance or, whatever those goals are below it, they become more qualitative and, and, you know, a little less, they're more like the sensations, the feel and checking off those things off the box type goals. And you can control the outcome with them. It's like, I'm big into stoicism at the moment. I'm trying to bring that across into cycling. And one of the key things they talk about is this dichotomy of control, that life is divided into two buckets, outcomes you can control and outcomes you can't control. So if you get up in the morning, and you look out the window and it's raining, you can't control that. There's no amount of stress that's going to change the weather. 
what can you control in this situation? Well, you can put your rain jacket on and your overshoes and go and enjoy the ride. So yeah. it's trying to focus all your energy on the stuff you can control. So I suppose your second, what you're calling qualitative, that's all stuff you can control. Mm-hmm. But getting up every day and doing the work or trying, at least you can, 100%. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a huge fan of that because that develops the feedback loop. I was um, a contributor to a book. It was a great book called The Motivation Myth. And yeah, this this you know really famous author for uh, Inc. Magazine, like, you know, this big business journal, put together this book and, you know, he talked to like NASCAR, like Jimmy Johnson with NASCAR and some of these big CEOs for corporations. And, and then he talked to me, I'm like, why are you talking to me? I, you know, I don't feel like I've really done all that much, but, you know, spending some time with him, I, I think I had impressed a couple things on him and that mindset is really everything you know, to your point is, is you have to be able to control what you can and be able to let go of those those things you cannot control. And the motivation myth is that, um, you know, motivation is this magical thing that comes out of nowhere when actually it comes from building of really small successes, like go to the gym twice this week. I'm not saying lift 800 pounds or, or, but just go then you check that off, you know, be on time for the Saturday morning group ride. You know, these small steps are successes and success builds confidence. Confidence builds that motivational, like conveyor belt. Winter is on the way. And as the dark and cold days close in on us, we're all beginning to think about the next few months of indoor training. Every week I get emails and DMs asking about my dream indoor training setup. I've already got it. For me, the thing that's had the biggest impact on my motivation to train indoors, it's having a watt bike. There's no faffing around putting bikes onto a trainer. The watt bike's just there. It's ready when you are. Having it there just removes all those friction points. No more 10 minute setup, unfolding legs, banging my knees off stuff. No more connection issues. It just works every single time when I need it. There's zero setup and it feels exactly like being out on the road. I get to talk to the best riders in the world every week on this podcast. And guess what bike they all recommend? The Watt Bike. We're partnering with Watt Bike to give you 10% off the Watt Bike Adam when you use the code ROADMANTEN at checkout. That's ROADMANTEN at checkout. If you're considering a dedicated indoor bike heading into the winter, I couldn't recommend this any higher. Details of this offer are below in today's episode description. The author Stephen Pressfield talks about this about because there's a myth in creative circles that inspiration it strikes at strange times, and he said in all of his bestsellers, inspiration always seems to strike between six a.m. and eleven a.m. when he actually has boxed off time to sit down and write, and inspiration hits him then. So we can create this environment that facilitates these magic moments. Yes, absolutely. But it's also really important to remember that there's probably only, in in the work phase, there's only an occasional magic moment. (laughs) Really, my training is not magic. It is shoveling shit sometimes. And it's like, I got tendonitis, you know, (laughs) like, you know, whatever it is, the knee, tendonitis, the back, insert, uh, malady or, you know, the thing holding you back. 
And yeah, a third of the time is is consistently going to be difficult. It's going to be shoveling shit, very difficult training, you know, training with issues. Sometimes it's going to be okay the other third of the time. And then a third of the time is going to go good. Um, but if you if you don't show up, you don't build the, the wall of bricks that makes the castle. But so you talked about having tendonitis. I think that's a great example because so many of our listeners right now, they are stuck. They're stuck in a place they're not too happy about. Maybe that's mental health-wise, maybe that's physical health-wise, career, relationship, and they want to move past feeling stuck to a place where they're happy again. When you are in those less than optimum situations, be they physical challenges like your injury or mental challenges, how do you light that spark, get that initial spark to start moving again? I think a lot of it is just committing committing to do it, but you have to imagine it first. You know, I, I think when the real goal setting is not, you know, when you write something down on the paper that you might or might not want to do, I think it's dreaming. I mean, really like visualizing, standing on the podium. When you actually can smell the spring day and the flowers are being handed to you and you step up onto the third step of the podium, or when you walk in the office of that new job, or when you step out of your tracks and you know sign that contract for the new office or, or for, a, for a new house or whatever it is that you're trying to change in your life, it doesn't, you know, you don't need to visualize it in this abstract way, but really, you know, visualize it in high def. And how often would you do that? Is this something like you'd try and recall daily, weekly? So you're setting a goal for yourself and then you're starting to almost live that goal as if it's happening yes. to you right now. And how often do you do this or what's your process for visiting these? It's it's not all that often, but maybe just once a week, you know, I'll I'll really just yeah, I'll be going on a walk and out in the woods, just completely in a in a place that you don't have that distraction. So in the modern era, we've got this incredible noisy environment. You've got this Instagram, you know, and you've got all this uh news, terrible news going on and and anyway, it's all just uh it's very distracting noise. We've got the the voices in our head that creep in from all different directions. And I feel like if you can go on a bike ride or be in a natural environment that's devoid of that noise, those are the places where, or if you do yoga or do some meditating, those are also places where you, yeah, I, I don't know. I think you can have that clear space to really visualize. I would visualize my races. So one of the biggest things I found was tremendously impactful on how the races went for me was I would actually draw a map of the course. Like, I'm not kidding. I, after pre-riding in the evening, two days before, I mean, I would just draw the course. I would name sections of the course, even like the drawbridge or like, you know, dragon's tail or whatever, just things that made me a little bit more attached to it. And then when I go to visualize it, I literally visualize it almost as long as possible. Like it's hard to visualize an hour and a half race or whatever, but I would visualize it in maybe the course of six minutes. I'd really get in there and be like, okay, all right, it's raining. Got my rain jacket. I've got this, I've got that. And, and some of these things will really be neat because when you actually go and do the thing, 
it's a lot easier. You've already done it. I mean, it's halfway done. You know what I've been playing around with the last year as well? I'm a big advocate of momentum. I think momentum, when it's going in one direction, it's easier to keep it going in that direction. Like if you're stuck in a rut, it's easier to stay in that rut than to get out of that rut. But if you have good momentum and you're going to the gym, you're eating well, you're training well, it's quite easy to stay in that. Like people say, oh, how are you cut one for the last 10 years? Like it, it, it's maintenance. It's just easy. It, I don't ever think about it because I, I never do the hustle that I do, that I took to go from cut four to cut one. That was like a, that's like generating momentum. That's hard. That's the hard but part, yeah. I was thinking about your visualization and goal setting. And I, I think that you're super mentally strong. And I want to get onto that in a second. And I think a lot of elite athletes are very mentally strong. But when our average listener thinks about a task that's that big, it's so overwhelming. And I found in the last 12 months that my problem was, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't setting goals. It was actually, where do I start with this? Because it's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I found breaking it down into the smallest tasks. Like, okay, I want to win this national championships and it's 12 months away. But like, what can I do right now? And like making it the smallest possible task. It's like, okay, can I clean my helmet? Can yes. I find my shoes? Do I have a battery in my heart rate strap? Yeah. Like really making these goals tiny and just creating that little bit of momentum. Because it was such a low threshold for me going to the shop to buy a battery for my heart rate strap. That I was like, oh, like I'm not going to long finger that. It's such a small task. I could do that literally in 20 seconds. So I'm not long fingering it. And, but it's generated this positive momentum. And then, like as they say, it's easier to steer a ship that's moving than one that's not. Yes, absolutely. I, we had this, uh, each one of the Impossible Route episodes has this sort of anchor quote. And the Texas episode, I don't know, for some reason, I just it just became clear to me on this epically ridiculously long terrible ride that i was loathing like i was really like i had butterflies in my stomach like i was just not really into doing 315 miles nonstop. Uh, it was just crazy 35 hour ride <laughs> and but plus tyler's kind of closed that gap as well isn't he where he's you're still stronger than him but he's getting strong now oh wow it's uh no he was better than me that 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 ride um uh, yeah it's it just became crystal clear to me that the greatest cure for fear is action. And that was one of my quotes. Some of our other quotes are attributed from famous authors or other, you know, other sources, you know, Winston Churchill quote or like a, you know, whatever. But that one I, I just came up with. And yeah, I mean, I, I get it too. I get the roadblocks. I get those uh, moments. You know, I, I think a month ago I was really having a tough time and, and it was just because of like, you know, this mountain of tasks, you know, I've got, all of these moving parts going all at once. And, you know, I got in this bad habit of putting them all on one list. Like, <laughs> it was I like to do that. <laughs> really, really bad, you know? And it's, that's, that's not one of my stronger suits is I have so many ideas that, you know, I can let them kind of overwhelm my core tasks. And yeah, no, I, I stepped back and uh, getting COVID was not something I wanted but it was perhaps something I needed because it said stop. And I couldn't do anything. I mean, I went to the computer to try to type for 15 minutes and this eyes just started to cross and I just went back to bed. And I went on a lot of walks, you know, and the, that reflective time was really, really important just to realize I needed to focus in and hone in and simplify the goals. And then, like you said, just start 
you know, you move, you go. And the action is really, really, I don't know. It's, it's, it just stops your brain from all the busy thinking and you just, just go. It's like when the group ride starts at 10 a.m. It's like, whoa, whoa, I'm late, you know? Okay, all of a sudden you're putting on your socks. You're not thinking about how much I don't want to do this workout. That's why they're great. Yeah, it's like a centimeter action is worth more than a mile of good intention. Yes, 100%. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As we pedal closer to the end of another year, I can't help but reflect on the highs and lows that come along with it, whether it's the excitement of the holiday season or navigating those occasional winter blues. It can be a bit of a roller coaster. I've been thinking about how this time of year can be a little bit overwhelming, dealing with the stress and the changes that accompany it. Whether you've ever dipped your toes into therapy or not, let's chat about the bigger picture benefits in a language we can all relate to. Think of it as a toolkit for life. A bit of space where you can learn the ropes of positive coping skills, some time for self-reflection, and even somewhere where you can learn how to set those crucial boundaries in your life. If you're contemplating the therapy journey, why not give BetterHelp a spin? This is therapy that's entirely online, crafted for ultimate convenience, flexible and tailored to your schedule. Just a quick questionnaire to match you with a licensed therapist and the freedom to switch things up anytime at no extra cost. It's therapy on your terms and I've got to say, the convenience is a total game changer. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash roadman today to get 10% off your first month. That's better com forward slash roadman. All of the details for this offer are in today's show notes. So I kind of touched there on, I don't think your level of mental strength is normal to endure what you've endured physically for as long as you've endured it. I don't think it's normal in society. But do you think you were born with better than normal mental strength or is this a muscle that people can build? Absolutely. It's a muscle people can build. I mean, I, I think I had a lot of energy as a kid, but I grew up in a, a home with drug and alcohol abuse, violence, and I had this uh, really traumatic childhood. And for me, getting away from getting away and going and doing something that I had control of was empowering. You know, I mean, like you go from like a kid made, being made fun of in school because you're wearing hand-me-down jeans with holes in them and shoes that don't, you know, they're not cool. <laughs> you know, we got them at the like thrift store or whatever. I don't know what my mom got us, but yeah, she had her demons and had her challenges and, and uh, I had mine too. You know, getting in fights, getting suspended, arrested. Like, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people don't know about that chapter of my life, but it was a long time ago. But getting out of it, it was a decision. You know, I had made a decision. I said, hey, I'm getting into bike racing. You know, I want to go and do something that's exciting. The adventure, the adrenaline. Uh, you have basically no time to get in trouble when you're preparing for a bike race. Yeah, too fatigued afterwards. <laughs> you're too tired to go you know, revel out with your friends, you're uh, basically just focused in on the thing, you know, 10 days to go, eight days to go, five days to go. All right, I'm sleeping well, I'm eating good, my bike's great, I'm up early, you know, it's just honing you. Uh, what a lot of people 
yeah, they, they, they don't see the, that real value, the intrinsic value. Um, and that's the beauty of sport. And I think the early philosophers and Greek philosophers, they got it. They understood the intrinsic value of sport and that it makes people better. It tests them. It pushes them. It creates scenarios of stress when you don't need those survival instincts. But there will be a time when you will. I've heard health described as the table, the foundation of your life. And then everything else is items you put on top of the table. So your relationship with your partner, your children, your hobbies, your interests, they're all items that you place on top of the table. But if you don't have a solid table, all those items just fall off. And I think for a long time, there wasn't a mainstream awareness of the importance of health. We've always known it as athletes and we've always focused on it, but it's been interesting in the last few years post-COVID watching people who traditionally didn't have that much interest in health now looking to the likes of you for strategies to optimize their health, happiness, and longevity. It definitely is the new, it's the new flex, I think, too, among CEOs and business owners and things like that. You see these people coming out to have experiences and not buying shit. You know, I think it's actually pretty cool. We definitely have a pretty big problem in the US. And I would say, you know, it's, it's a very general statement as, as I have a ton of friends that are very fit. A lot of, you know, see a lot of people that do get it. But then also there's a, a large portion of the population that doesn't understand that, you know, diabetes care and treatment for all of these ailments is actually preventable if you take care of yourself. It's so multifaceted though, isn't it? The US is, you know, largely we mirror your behaviors, but on a little bit of a delayed timer. It's like, even if you're looking at things like obesity, well, people eat to feel control and a world that feels like it's spiraling and they've very little control on foreign policy. Their dollar doesn't buy them as much as it used to. Their mortgage payments have gone up because inflation's out of control. It's like, I can't control anything. Oh, wait, I can control what I'm putting into my mouth. This makes me feel good, this mouth pleasure. So it, it's solving more than the obesity crisis. It needs to be a, a broader solution to this problem. And largely, I think, as cliche as it is, the bike does help to solve a lot of these problems from health to starting a goal set to understand that you can only put your focus on things you can control. And when you take these lessons like we we're talking about from cycling and you bring them back and apply them into every facet of your life, it's net positive. Absolutely. There's there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, maybe you don't need to do what I do and go do a six-hour ride, but I, I feel like that 45 minutes, you know, if I have a big task, you know, at some point I just get frustrated. I feel like drained, slam the computer closed, you know, run to my bike, go do some wheelies, sprint up the street, get the wind <laughs> in my face. And then the stress kind of comes off and then I, I smile, I have a great time. The blood's flowing, your heart's pounding. And yeah, I mean, people are meant to move. It's a big... You're, you're transported back to being a kid again. Oh, it's Like you're doing wheelies. You're a man in your 40s doing wheelies and you're a child again. I'm, a, I'm just a kid. I, you know, it, it's really funny because like, then you just, you just hit the reset button. And contrary to popular belief, and there's a lot of newer studies on this, but exercise actually changes your brain chemistry and how your brain is operating. So you go to the gym that endorphins, you know, actually changes the way your brain operates. You become more 
clued in, you're more astute, quicker reaction, and you know your think your thought processes are accelerated and improved. So exercise um, absolutely is absolutely critical, and you see, yeah, I mean a lot of very high performance people. Uh, you know, Richard Branson, for example. You know, if you follow him on Instagram, he's got his you know his strength conditioning routine. You know, he goes for bike rides quite a bit. It's it's just a, a key part. He just looks like he's going to be dangerous on the bike. He's like one of them dudes. I don't know him. Never seen him on the bike, but I know he's going to cause a crash on the group ride. You just yeah. know you got to be not on his wheel. Yeah, he's just, yeah, probably a little a little a little spastic there. I don't know. Yeah, I've never ridden with Richard Branson, but who would you who would you like to ride with if uh, if you had a, a, a ride with someone? With anyone? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I've always been a big soccer fan, uh, using the Americanized version of football for the international audience. But uh, coming from my part of the world, our hero's Roy Keane. He's this, you know, Michael Jordan esque character in football. I, I'd love to go ride with him just because he's hilarious and he was an athlete who was unwavering standards and commitment and discipline and expectation of those around them. And I hope I could get a little bit of the the rub off him. I get a little bit of his. Those standards would rub off on me and I'd inherit that somehow by osmosis. <laughs> well, there's something to that. I mean, you're definitely an accumulation of the people you hang around. And that's, um, yeah, it's something to think of. You should, you should message him, see if he wants to go for a ride. I just like, Roy, will you be my friend? Like, I just want to be friends with him. I don't want to go riding. <laughs> all, all I can say is no. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, you, you um, yeah, you'd be surprised, you know, given the right situation, you'd probably be curious. Like those wheelies are funny that you're talking about in your driveway because I was thinking back about my cycling career and the fondest moments I have. I never really think back about races I won or races we won as a team or, you know, being in a break in this race with these riders who went on to be pro. I never think about that unless someone shows me a picture and then I'd be like, oh yeah, I was in the break that day at Michael Woods. That was pretty cool. I ended up beating him that day. It's like, I never think about that. I think about the laughs. I think about the the adventures, the camaraderie. When you reflect on your career, like what jumps out? I'd say just crazy shenanigans and adventures. I remember traveling to the World Cups and I was on a smaller team. They didn't have a budget for Europe. So it was myself and a good friend of mine, Nick Waite, who was former junior national champion. And we did a World Cup in Switzerland. And the next one was in Austria. And I said, hey, well, they've got trains, you know, that run all over the place. And part for the course, the Swiss trains are on time. And we were <laughs> kind of like right on the limit. We had our ticket. We uh, went up to the stairs, but we had these huge bike boxes. And I'm like, all right, Nick, we got to get up there. It's like, you know, two minutes for the train to take off. And, uh, you know, I bring the bags up and then I go back down for the bike box. But the bike box won't fit between the like the things and we got to lift it up over and then i get his bike over and then we hear the train rolling up and you know we were running and pulling and dragging our bikes and wait 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 and the train just rolls out shit they were like on time to the second maybe even early and we looked at the schedule and there was another train coming and you know but it was a overnight train you know it's like 12 to 3 a.m. or something. So we got on this train and uh, we got our tickets and we we walked back into, you know, the car. And then we kind of thought to look around a little bit. Um, 
And so we walked back a little further and then uh, there was this really nice little cafe. We had this awesome dinner and then we had these uh, seats that were like beds and it was like amazing. And little did we know, we accidentally went into the like VIP area. We thought this was normal train service in like Switzerland is where like little ceramic tea cups and they're bringing you out the cheese plate. And you're like, I was like, well, shit. Value for three euro fifty. Amazing. I mean, American subway sucks. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, we got kicked out of there. Like it was, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. We had no idea because, well, well, how do we know? Um, anyway, so we go and we get to our proper car, and we we did get the sleeper car tickets, and we're sleeping. And I put my feet out the window because it's a really hot uh, day. And, um, you know, we're getting a nice breeze, the train's going along the track, and then um, there's this huge noise, and another train's coming by. My like, feet are just hanging out the window, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a part of Olympian. Yeah, it was just hilarious. Oh, it was, it was just one of these funny moments, and we finally get there. It's like three in the morning. Uh, we split up and go our ways and, and try to get to the Airbnb which is, you know, it's like an Austrian, you know, guest house or whatever. And and we knock on the door, no one's there. Look in the window, all the lights are off. I mean, in America, you've got these like 24-hour, everything is holiday ends, 24 hours, whatever. You go to the front desk, there's someone standing there, they got a night shift. Checking in the hotels is easy. There, it's like the, the innkeeper went home. So it's 3 a.m., I'm like freezing we're standing there, no answer from our guy we're staying with. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to sleep. I'm exhausted. And so I set this bike box up. And so we, we like slept on our bike boxes next to this freezing cold river. It's like just ridiculous memories of doing dumb shit like that is just awesome. You know, the race was completely muddy and terrible and at eyes, eyes caked with mud, and it was like some trench warfare shit from World War II. But we laughed it off, had some great food, and went on some cool explorations. And really, the explorations were like, those are real memories for me. Is you know, when we after the race went and did stuff, or you know, had some really unexpected twist of fate that made it interesting. If you could talk to that younger version of Jeremiah, what would you say to him? Have confidence you know, believe in yourself and do the things that you set out to just, just, just do it, you know, it'll work out. I mean, I think, you know, it's such a stress. It was such a stress at at so many times in my life. And I was, everybody thinks I show this like stoic confidence, but no, I was pretty much ready to quit like three or four times. Like it's just not happening. Everything's gone wrong. Contract cut, you know, lost the team can't perform anymore, you know, but I love it, you know, and I think just anchoring that, that was, that was what kept me going and just doing something. Yeah. Doing things I love to do. So hopefully I can keep on inspiring people to do theirs. Jeremiah, thanks for coming back to chat with me again. We'll have to do a round, round three, 12 months from now. All right. All right. Let's do it. Hopefully we'll, we'll talk about some, some hobbies and other stuff. We'll be on round 32, 32 years from now, two crusty old bastards talking yeah. about the wisdom of life. Uh, you know, uh, sounds good to me. I'm in for it. Sounds good, buddy. Stay good, stay healthy, and I enjoy following your journey.
Hey, great chatting, Anthony.